Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. We're going to be here in the book of uh, Colossians chapter number four here this morning. And uh, if you are just joining with us, we've been working our way through the book of Colossians and uh, we've been looking at a few things that, uh, reminders that are important for us as a, as a church to, to take hold of. And Paul's been uh, wrapping up this uh, last section here out of Colossians 4. And uh, we're going to read here again uh, verses uh, 2 through 6. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and do that here. Paul writes here, "...continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving." At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each Person. We've been talking about living on mission or missional living, and as we've already seen here, what uh, Paul is commanding these believers to do and to do as well is to remember that our task is to be going and making disciples. That's what our Lord Jesus commanded us to do, uh, Matthew uh, 28. Uh, he says, go and make disciples. And we've already seen the importance of prayer how prayer is foundational to making disciples, praying uh, continually, praying steadfastly, praying for open doors, right? Uh, Last week, we looked at a couple points of practical help about making disciples. Uh, Paul, in this passage, tells us about uh, about the praying for open doors. We talked about the specifics of open doors, maybe what those look like. Sometimes they may come in the, uh, in the path of uh, being something that uh, is a uh, divine appointment, uh, but I believe primarily the way that God works through us and in us is through relationships, people that uh, are already leaning into our lives. And these are people that we should be welcoming into our life so that way we can uh, share Christ and the gospel with them. And uh, we also looked at the importance of walking in wisdom. And if we desire to make disciples, our life must testify of the transformational power of the gospel. Uh, it's, we got, need to be walking in wisdom according to the word of God. Uh, so we got to be living exactly what God's word says. And that life is to be lived not for our own benefit, but is what Paul says here, toward outsiders. Those that do not know Christ, uh, they need to see a life that's been transformed by the gospel. And as we are walking, we are to be buying up these opportunities, right? He says that we need to uh, be uh, uh, buying up these opportunities, making the best use of the time. Uh, These are opportunities that God should be bringing into our lives, and we should take advantage of them uh, to proclaim Christ in every opportunity that we have. And so if we are supposed to be making disciples, we need to be praying for open doors. We need to invite people into our lives to see how we are living, and not just at church, but how you live in your home. And I said this uh, last week, please don't invite people to this church. Invite them into your home. That is where they are going to see the best display of a gospel message is in your home. Uh, Everybody can come to church and we can all put on a good show, can't we? 
We can sing the songs, praise the name of the Lord. We can do everything. But the best way they're going to see a life that's been transformed by the gospel is how you live in your home. Uh, Husbands, uh, you know, I can tell uh, usually if you're going to be living the right type of life in the home. All you got to do is ask your wife. They will tell, right? If you're actually living the way that the gospel and way the Bible tells us that we ought to be living, okay? So, you ought to be uh, inviting people into your life. Uh, They should see how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children, how you handle difficult situations, what makes you joyous, how you handle loss, grief, temptation, what you celebrate, what you rejoice in and live for. Uh, that's going to be a powerful witness to- towards them. So allow outsiders, those without Christ, to see how the gospel has transformed your way of living and is continually transforming the way that you are living. And the result of that, uh, Paul says here, verse number six, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The result of when we bring people, invite them into our lives, And as they are seeing how the gospel has transformed our everyday rhythms of life, the result of that will be questions. Why? How? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? How is it that you can do? How do you? And so now we're going to be able to answer those questions and how we should be responding to those questions. Paul's going to help us with that today. So here's what I want you to take away with you today. Live on mission by speaking the gospel effectively and graciously. Live on mission by speaking the gospel effectively and graciously. Let's take note here, a couple things. Number one, speak the gospel into every area of their life. If we are going to make disciples, we must remember that it's more than lifestyle evangelism. It not only includes us walking in wisdom, our life, but it also must include a message of our lips, what we say. And we should be able to speak the gospel into every area of their life. So if we are wanting to make disciples, what should our speech look like when people do ask questions about our lives that have been transformed by the gospel? Well, here's a few things. Number one, Know what the gospel is and how to give it clearly. If we're going to speak the gospel, we better know what it is. Believe it or not, most Christians cannot give you a clear presentation of what the gospel is. They say things like, well, you know, it's the New Testament. It's everything Jesus did. That's usually what they say. What is the gospel? If we are going to be speaking the gospel, Paul even prays, he says, that a door may be open, that I may be able to declare the mystery of Christ. That's the gospel. That I may be able to declare that. If that's what we are supposed to be doing, we better know exactly how to communicate that message and communicate it clearly. Perhaps you're thinking, Mike, I have a hard time giving the gospel. I feel like I muddle it up. Well, don't lose heart. You're in good company. So did Paul. That's why he says in verse number four, look what he says. Pray, right? Pray. Pray for also us, for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Paul was praying for clarity in actually giving the gospel. 
Are we praying that? Are we asking that for God? God, would you give me clarity in actually giving the gospel to others? We should pray for that. Paul asked for prayer so that he would make the gospel clear. That is Paul, the theologian who wrote 13 of the New Testament books. He's asking for prayer that he would be clear in presenting the gospel. And he refers to it as the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. Um, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that the mystery of the gospel is not that the gospel is mysterious or difficult to understand. It's just the fact that it was something that was unknown that has now been revealed. Both now Jew and Gentile can come to Christ. They can come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through faith in Christ because of the gospel. So what is the gospel? The word gospel means good news. What's the good news? Let me explain. The main content of the gospel concerns our need as sinners. God has a holy and righteous standard, and we fall way short of that standard because we are sinners. Much worse, because of our sins, they have alienated us from the holy God. Furthermore, because of the sins that we have committed, God says that sin carries a penalty, and that penalty is death. Because he is holy and just, God cannot just brush away our sins. The penalty must be paid. God has declared that that penalty for our sins is death, which means eternal separation from God in the lake of fire forever. You see, when we die... Death is separation. We are separated from this life. But we were created as spiritual beings. We will live somewhere forever. When we die, we don't experience annihilation. We're separated. And if we die in our sins and we die without Christ, we will be separated from God forever in the lake of fire. That's the penalty. No amount of good works can pay that penalty. But what we cannot do, God did. Are you ready? Here's the gospel. Here's the good news. In love, he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully human. He lived in perfect obedience to the Father. His death on the cross was substitutionary. He paid the debt that sinners deserve. What you and I deserve, Jesus paid for. He paid that debt. Jesus died in your place, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus took the wrath of God that you and I deserve and was put to death in our place. And after Jesus died, God resurrected him from the dead and now offers a full pardon and eternal life to every sinner who will simply turn from their sins and trust in the risen Christ alone to save them. That's the gospel. The good news that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Saving faith is not just mentally agreeing with the facts of the gospel. Turning to God in faith for salvation necessarily requires turning from sin. And I'll say that there are even some probably here this morning that you've agreed to all the facts of the gospel, but yet you've never really repented from any sin. If we were to inspect your life and look at the fruit 
of your life, there is no repentance from sin. And I would say to you, if that's you, you need to repent of your sin and you need to believe in Christ and trust Christ alone for salvation. Not just agreeing with all the stuff about the gospel, not just with agreeing about the facts of who Jesus was and so forth and so on, but repent from your sin and trust in Christ. And so if we are going to speak the gospel to others and communicate that content clearly, we should learn some key verses to go with each point. Here they are. You can write these down. This will help you. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that of not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Romans 5, 8, but God commends his love towards us in that while we were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I love this one in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In most of the times that I've shared the gospel with unbelievers, there's this thought that God is somehow going to grade on the curve, right? That my sin is really not that bad. That I somehow deserve heaven. After all, look at everything that I've done. You see, this is where the message of the cross becomes an offense. This is what Paul says, as he tells in uh, 1 Corinthians, he says, it's the foolishness of the preaching of the cross, right? People consider those that perish as foolishness. But to us that are saved, it is the power of God. And so God is not going to grade on a curve, right? Our, I don't think we realize and understand how offensive and how repulsive our sin is before a holy God. And that's the good news of the gospel. Here we are in a lost state, miserable sinners, needing mercy, needing grace. And what does God do? He gave his son Jesus to die in our place. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news that he did that for us. And that is why prayer is so important that uh, what Paul prayed for, for God to give us an open door to declare the mystery of, the God, of Christ, to make it clear. And we should be praying that God would open the eyes of those that we are speaking to, that they would be open to who Christ is and what the gospel is. Secondly, speak the gospel in every situation. Look at verse 4 again. Paul is asking for prayer for how he ought to speak. Speak what? The gospel, right? Declare the mystery of Christ. To whom, Paul? Who are we declaring the mystery of Christ to? Outsiders, right? Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. They have already seen my life as I'm walking in wisdom, but what do my lips say? What are we going to say when the questions come? You need to know how the gospel relates to every area of life. 
You see, I think we have this misunderstanding within Christianity that the gospel is only good for, oh, I'm lost without Jesus and I need Jesus and I trust Jesus. And oh, hey, now I'm saved. I know Jesus. And well, okay, now I know Jesus. All right, that's good. That's good. I know Jesus. Great, great, wonderful. But did you know that the gospel is the power of God to those who are being saved? Can I ask you a question? Are you being saved right now? Are you in the constant process of being saved? You see, salvation was not just a one-time event. It's ongoing, continually. God is at work in our lives and he's transforming us, helping us to turn from sin and continually turn towards him, helping us turn from unbelief to belief. This is the power of the gospel. And you're going to need to know how the gospel relates to every area of life. So here's the scenario. Here's somebody that you've invited into your life. They've been seeing how, how the gospel has transformed your life. Maybe you're sitting around, you're enjoying some, some time with, together with them. Maybe you've invited them over for dinner. Maybe you're hanging out on the porch, whatever. Maybe you're wrenching together on a car. Who knows? Whatever it is, right? You're living life. And they see how you respond to your family. They see how you handle difficult situations. Maybe they ask you and say, hey, how's work going? Oh, man, I just got fired. Really? Yeah, but you know, I'm trusting God for that. Boy, that's weird. They start asking questions. Maybe they start sharing with you about a struggle that they're having in their own life. Maybe it could be a marital struggle. Maybe it could be a loss of a loved one. Maybe it could be some sickness or Ill, uh, illness that's going on. Who knows, whatever, some difficult situation. You need to know how the gospel can speak into their life how it relates to those life situations. So for example, what if this person that you've invited into your life starts sharing with you about some marriage difficulty? How could you speak to them how the gospel has transformed your life in your marriage? Where could we go? How about the book of Ephesians, right? Ephesians chapter number five. What does it tell us there? Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? He gave himself for it. There's the gospel. That's how it relates. We're sharing the gospel. And they may say, man, how is it that you treat your wife so good? Well, let me tell you. God's been so good to me. He gave me a demonstration of how I should treat my wife in giving himself to me. And I should be giving myself sacrificially to my wife. This is how we're speaking the gospel into their life. How about in other issues? Uh, how about uh, forgiveness? Maybe a person's struggling. Maybe somebody did this person wrong and they're having a hard time and maybe they're sharing that with you. How would you speak the gospel into their life? The Bible tells us, right, in the book of Ephesians again, right, chapter 4, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving as what? Christ forgave you. There's the gospel again, right? We find these opportunities and we take advantage of them and we speak the gospel into their life. Remember, these are people who are already leaning into your life. These are people that you already are building relationships with. 
and you speak the gospel into their life. You share Christ with them. And it's not weird. It's not, it's not strange, right? It occurs in the natural rhythms of life. And so we should be speaking the gospel into every area of life. Believe it or not, if your life has been transformed by the power of the gospel, then you have the ability to speak about how the gospel has transformed you and how it is shaping you. Jesus told us that you shall be my what? Witnesses. You have to be a witness in order to witness. Have you witnessed anything? Are you witnessing how the gospel is transforming your life even today, right now? If you are, then you can be his witness. You can witness and share how Christ has transformed your life. Are you still witnessing how the gospel is transforming your life? How do you know? This is what disciple-making is all about, showing others how the gospel has transformed you and is transforming you as you live out the natural rhythms of life and inviting them in on the journey. But the way you talk about the gospel is also important. Paul gives us some helpful pointers here. Here they are. Secondly, speak the gospel graciously. Notice what he says here that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And then he gives us some things here. Let your speech, notice this, always be gracious. We can say, let your speech always be seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Always speaking graciously, salty, and carefully, Paul says here. Paul gives us these three key ingredients to answering outsiders' questions. And he prefaces these ingredients with that specific word, always, meaning to continue to do it without end. So here they are. Number one, always use gracious speech. He says, let your speech always be with grace. In light of Paul's repeated emphasis on grace, this probably means that our presentation of the gospel, the message that he gives salvation as a free gift to sinners who deserve his judgment should be permeated with God's grace. It shouldn't be all doom and gloom, right? I remember uh, growing up and uh, when I first was uh, going into ministry, um, I remember this one guy that was at a church, he, he came up to me and he's like, so are you going to be one of those hellfire and brimstone preachers? I'm like, ah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> right? But our speech should be seasoned with grace. It includes speaking graciously to others. As a sinner who has received grace, we should work at speaking to others in a kind and humble way, letting them know that we're all sinners who would be on the way to hell were it not for God's grace. What does it mean to have gracious speech? The word grace simply means unmerited favor. In the words that we speak, we should always seek to give people what they do not deserve. Our words should always seek to edify and to build others up. 
They should give mercy even when others have hurt us. Is our speech always seasoned with grace? In Psalm 45.2, which is a messianic psalm, meaning that it tells us things about Jesus, listen to what the psalmist wrote several hundred years before Jesus as he prophesied about Christ concerning Christ's speech. He says, You are the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace since God has blessed you forever. We later see that fulfilled in the life of Christ as the people of Jerusalem had this to say about Christ's speech in Luke 4.22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? God anointed Christ's lips with grace. People said about this about Christ in John 7.46. No one ever spoke the way this man does. This should be the desire of every Christian. We should seek to have words that always give people grace and build them up. This is what Paul exhorted in Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do we always have gracious speech when we are sharing Christ with others? Secondly, always use salty speech. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt. Now, he doesn't mean to say salty language as sailors, right? (laughs) He says salty speech. Speech that is seasoned with salt is valuable. Salt was so valuable during ancient times that it was often given as money. That is where the phrase, he's not worth his salt, came from. Wars were fought specifically over salt because of how precious it was. And we should be sure that our speech is valuable and not just flippant words. So how are we going to use salty speech? Well, salt had many uses in Paul's day. One, it was used as a preservative from spoiling. This implies that our speech should be pure and free from corruption. It should show those whose lives are spoiled due to sin how they can be restored through the gospel. Speech that is seasoned with salt should sway conversations toward godly topics. One of the ways our words act as a preservative is by turning conversations toward worthy, God-honoring topics. We do that by speaking scripture, speaking with love and gratitude and turning conversations away from the things that dishonor God. So when we have invited people into our lives and we are talking about life, we look for the opportunities and we are looking for the doors that God is going to open for us to declare the mystery of Christ and we do so with salty speech. Salt also had a medical use as well. Speech that is seasoned with salt helps heal people. If you put salt in a wound, it might sting, but it also cleanses and helps bring healing. In the same way, sometimes our speech should uh, sting others. This means we tell them the truth, right? And by the way, you're not loving people if you don't tell them the truth. The truth tells people what God says. We don't skirt around the issue and him haw around, right? We tell them the truth. Real love does that. And sometimes it might sting, but it's the truth. 
This means we tell them the truth about their lives, about their sin, about the truth of the gospel. We speak the truth in love. We challenge them with the gospel. Scripture says, Proverbs 27, 6, reminds us faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you never wound anybody, then you may not really be their friend. Thirdly, salt was also used as a spice to make food more tasty. Our presentation of the gospel should stimulate people's taste to want more. Speech that is seasoned with salt will make people desire Christ. Salt obviously has the ability to make people thirsty. In the same way, our speech should make people thirst for the satisfying water that comes only from Christ. Our speech must reveal the emptiness of the things of the world and show the fullness that is in Christ. Listen to what Christ said in John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The wells of this earth simply leave people empty and dry, but it is Christ who satisfies. Our speech should have enough salt to make people thirst for Christ. It should make people say, whatever he has, I want. Is our speech always salty? Look for ways to communicate the gospel into their life situations. This is exactly what Jesus did. He used stories. He used current events. Remember when the, uh, the tower there fell? Right? That was a current event that happened. Jesus used, looked for opportunities. He used certain kinds of speech to tell them the truth. Thirdly, always use careful speech. Notice what Paul says here. Let your speech always know how you ought to answer each person. This takes wisdom. This takes you the ability of praying, right? You've, you've been developing uh, relationships with people. As people are coming into your lives, you're hearing what's going on in their life, and it takes wisdom on know how to answer their questions, how to speak directly to their issues at hand and giving the gospel. Paul says a person who practices always speaking with grace and salt will by necessity develop speech that is wise. He will know how to respond in any situation and with any person. And Paul gives a result clause. Look at this. So that you may know how to answer everyone. The person who speaks with grace and salt will know how to answer everyone correctly. This is where you must know how the gospel speaks into every life situation. You should be, your, your, your life should be consumed in the word of God, knowing what scripture says, how it speaks into situations. So that way you can help others bringing them to Christ. Is it? Are we doing that? We should be going and making disciples. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And if we're not doing this, we're being disobedient to God. We're being disobedient to Christ and what he commands. Do we practice always having grace in our conversations? 
especially when someone offends us? Do we practice always having salt in our conversations, turning ungodly conversations into something righteous and worthwhile? For those who do, God begins to anoint their speech. And he anoints them because he can trust them, because they always want to honor God with what they say, and therefore God gives them the words to answer someone. This is the type of speech needed to live a life on mission, making disciples. Are we doing that? Well, pray. Pray for open doors. Pray that God would open doors for you to invite people into your life so that you can really make disciples, okay? And uh, pray that you are being transformed by the power of the gospel, okay? Living that out so you can speak the gospel to others, okay? Let's pray. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.